and welcome to Unplugged in St Kilda, a show where we celebrate the incredible music scene we had here in the 1970s, 80s and 90s. I'm Sally Moore, a local resident, music fan and member of the St Kilda Historical Society. Throughout the series, I'll be talking to a number of musicians who lived in St Kilda back in the day, and together we'll unearth more about what's made the local area such a magnet for great music, as well as a significant part of Melbourne and Australia's music scene. Today we're talking to a real inspiration. She's a female rocker and formidable frontwoman. She's been the lead singer for the bands Have a Nice Day, In Vivo, Fiona and Her Holy Men, and now she's a member of Dalicados. Welcome, Fiona Lee Maynard. Thank you, Sally. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Fiona, we understand you've been performing for three decades. Can you give us a summary of your musical career? It's so much fun. I've met so many wonderful people. I've been able to travel a lot um, and um, explore music and just the um, group dynamics. The um, study of uh, group dynamics is something that I find fascinating and, and through music you get a really good perspective. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you would. People think they're watching me on stage. It's not always <laughs> the case. I might be watching them. <laughs> Very good. Um, what was St Kilda like during the time you were in the area and what time period are we looking for you living there? Right, well, the first... Um, the first flame that uh, St Kilda ignited for me was all around the Seaview Ballroom, the Crystal Ballroom, yeah. and um, I I met up with some friends um, going to see Sunny Boy's Countdown appear, appearance and uh, made some friends there that started to be my chaperone and take me into this wonderful place um, when I had a fake ID and uh, <laughs> 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 so I was a... I was, uh, in there a bit young, which thank goodness I, I had that chance to get in there because by the time I was 18, the scene had sort of ended because of oh. a, um, a little dick competition hosted by Fred Negro and when the liquor licensing <laughs> people were visiting. <laughs> but before that, I saw so many bands and back then it was really, everyone was trying to push the envelope, right? So if you were a band, you had to be different. There was no... There was, the, this idea about being a genre and go and knowing your genre and your pigeonhole and all of that, that wasn't a thing back then. It was much more about hybrids and about imagination, about trying to do something that hadn't quite been done before or blending a couple of different styles that hadn't been done before, whether it was what you were wearing and what you were playing, what you were saying, what you were singing about, uh, the instruments you used. So the um, ballroom was just an amazing place to go and see any type of band that you could possibly imagine. There were new wave bands, there were punk bands, there were country bands, there were cow punk bands, there were uh, all sorts of art rock bands and it was just so vibrant and fascinating and there were that many people because um, capacities (laughs) were suggestions. Back then they weren't (laughs) actually enforced (laughs) so people would be absolutely jam-packed in and for a young for a teenager, that was just so exciting. I can imagine. So many people, you know, feeling a bit marginalised in your own sort of um, 
a small fish pond of whatever suburb you were with all the rules and regulations of Sandringham and then going to St Kilda where it was just like, nah, nah, write your own rules here. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and join in with people doing doing stuff. And it was a it was a tribe. And um, so I couldn't I couldn't keep away after that. It was that was my weekend and coming home from that uh, I was always like trying to work out what I'd seen the bass player do as soon as I got home and for the next couple of hours <laughs> before I fell asleep. Yeah. So it was um, just this wonderful healthy exchange of emerging culture and of people in Australia having their own voice. You know, there was a lot of young blokes doing it. It wasn't, it wasn't the TV world. It was our own vibrant um, street culture yeah. and it was really inclusive and, um, yeah, just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we all love about St Kilda, don't we? The inclusivity and yeah. diversity of everyone. Yeah. Wonderful. Now, can you name a special building or several that meant a lot to you when you lived here? So it could be a place you lived in or rehearsed or maybe a venue. You mentioned the Crystal War Room before. Yeah. Well, that was that was a sacred space for everyone who, who walked through there. Um, but... Oh, and the building itself is just amazing. We've, um, as part of St Kilda Music Walking Tours, we went back in there. We had permission to go into the ballroom and it's a magnificent space. Um, and it, it's lovely to just go back, all your memories, flashback, uh, seeing Iggy Pop kick his bass player on the stage and all that sort of stuff. But um, I really love the Greyhound as well. That's um, That was a continuing... Uh, changing space and, and just up before they pulled it down they had the most amazing state-of-the-art facilities for performance space in there and then they ripped it down and they've just left it empty for yeah. like three or four years now. It's like, whoa, it feels like a big rude finger every time I pass it. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we win. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can make it quiet but yeah, they, they can't really because it just moves around. I love Topolino's. Topolinos, yep. yeah, because that's uh, that's been there for all sorts of um, family functions, amateur theatre meetups after rehearsal, all sorts of different um, occurrences there, and coming home after, well, before going home after gigs and being very hungry, there was that, but also Topos that was um, run by Silvio. He was actually an ex-student of my mother's from Cheltenham High, I think it was. <laughs> so there was always, I always felt like there was someone looking out for me there. And um, my mum was all about music and uh, culture and history as well. Fantastic. Yeah, so I always felt like that was that was just the good stomping ground. Yep. Yeah. Uh, now, you mentioned the St Kilda Music Walking Tours before, uh, mm. and so you were a host for the tour group? Yes. Excellent. <laughs> well, well, straight man. I yeah. think that's what I was <laughs> to Fred. <laughs> I was his straight man. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess if you were a tour guide for them, um, you must have held St Kilda his- history, you know, in your heart. Um, you know, going do, doing something like that. Mm. Um, tell us about that experience. That was really amazing. Um, I've been on walking tours overseas and stuff like that too, so I, I had a, a kind of an idea about <laughs> what they were like. But generally speaking, they don't go. Um, they didn't go for 
three hours, like the one through Sun Studios, which wasn't really a walking tour, but it was very quick turnover. They 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 give you everything in half an hour and you're out the door. This was a three hour and you were required to drink. And what I really loved about it was the disappearance of some of the venues that people had to go to. When when they came on the tour, there was a lot more, a lot of interaction, a lot of remembering, a lot of. Uh, sharing of the stories and that's that's what was really what I liked about it because I, I got used to hearing Fred's stories. I knew them but I really loved hearing other people's stories and what they had to add to this um, picture that, of our recollections and stuff like that and that was that just made it um, a really enriching experience. Sure. Yeah, just spending time with each other. That was yeah. that was what I really loved about it more than anything. Oh, yeah. I guess um, you know, if you swapping stories, like you said, yeah. um, rather than just hearing about, um, you know, the history of what happened, it, you know, the the stories that were untold uh, that you get to find out about on tours like that, I think would be really fascinating. Oh, they were. Yeah, really great. Um, Ox contributed quite a bit because we had the story about the uh, Cantini bar. And um, how they had uh, refused entry to the lead singer of Yothu Yindi um, after he was voted Australian of the Year on, or had won Australian of the Year. They refused entry to him. Right. And so they <clears throat> were a bit um, put out by this. And that was the time when, when there was still um, mob allowed to gather out near the toilet block and had the fire and... Um, Ox was part of this. He went down there and uh, apparently Uncle Neville uh, wouldn't have a bar of it and he um, pointed the bone and no one knows where that is and yep. Uncle Neville's passed on. So every time they tried to, you know, within a few weeks, Cantini Bar had just shut down. Shut down. Yeah, no wow. business there. And so yep. any time anyone tried to open the business, it just wouldn't work. So we don't know if it's... <laughs> They found it or dug it up or something. But it was lovely to have Ox there and he verified the story. I was there. I I know all about what happened. Yeah, so it, it was interesting. Yeah, it sounds very interesting. Mm. Now, you have a special memory about the Musicians' Union building here on Wellington Street. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, kind of. Well, because... We used to, um, we had to join the Musicians' Union. It was, um, when when I started performing, I also was interested in acting. So there was Actors' Equity and that was, it was both a protector and an obstacle. And the Musicians' Union kind of was as well. And I know this is an unpopular thing to say because I am, I believe in unions and I do believe in this solidarity and everything, but there's you know, young people, we just want to <laughs> get started, right? So um, the Musicians Union, when we were lucky enough, haven't I say, were lucky enough to get the support for Susie Quattro, we almost didn't do that because they stepped up. Susie Quattro had a five or, yeah, five-piece band and one of the rules is you have to have equal uh, Australian members opening for, for that. So we had to get an, a couple of extra members for wow. <laughs> those gigs. <laughs> <laughs> but then we were allowed to do it. Um, and the other thing, I went, we went along to one of the meetings and all the older guys were calling us scabs. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my special memory. 
<laughs> from letting, oh, I'm, not, I'm not exactly a scab oh, no. on your side. But um, it's a shame because some of the organisations that uh, start off with all good intentions of inclusivity become a little bit exclusive on their way out and that's part of why they fall apart, I think. Sure. Yeah. But now we've got better, we've got um, uh, some really uh, progressive um, music lobby groups like Music Victoria, yeah, in particular, they've been championing music and trying to get all the, the different facets of the industry together rather than seeing as a sep- separate adversaries. We're all part of the same, uh, we're allies in this. Yeah. yeah, part of the same tribe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So what impact did St Kilda have on you and your music? Well, it definitely got me thinking that it was okay to be an originator or innovator or to come up with something from your own heart and gut um, and brain rather than have to be a an imitation of somebody else or something else or some other genre. It was it was a yeah, like a permission pass. And it, it's interesting because at the same time that I was getting into St Kilda down here, I was going up to Sydney on the Greyhound bus and looking and exploring all of the Sydney scene as well and the vibrant Surrey Hills kind of uh, sector really reminded me of what was happening in St Kilda. But then also when later in the 90s when uh, my uh, fiancé at the time and I went over to stay with John Napolitano in LA, we um, also... Living in Hollywood, you yep. got that kind of sense of the underbelly of that, which reminded me a lot of St Kilda too, but actually it was less innovative. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> everyone was really ready, you know, they wanted to crack the big time and so that meant they had to have a lot more familiar elements, whereas in St Kilda the vibrancy of the art that people were creating was for was for shock value, was for conversation, it was to keep it going. It wasn't just to be, you know, put in a glass house or on a pedestal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess back in St Kilda you could sort of just be yourself and create what sort of music you really believed in. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that was the whole aim of it rather than... Art for art's sake. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> What impact do you think you and your music had on St Kilda? One thing I'm proud of is that when I started making music, there were less um, women thinking that was open to them as a, an option for fun or um, for creativity or for anything. So I, in hindsight, I think I might have, you know, held the door open a little bit more um, and that makes me happy because I, I over the last... I don't know, three decades, I've seen a lot more women participate in, a lot more girls think that that's an okay thing to do. There's no sort of, it's not, it's an accepted stereotype. (laughs) Whereas back then it was a little bit, it was tricky. Yeah. I just, I don't know how to answer that because from the, from the inside out, it's hard to actually see what ripples you've caused if there's been any or what's oh, splashing. I think, I think you know what you what said I mean? before, yeah, I think you really must have set something in progress for other women to believe that it was possible for them to, you know, be a front woman for bands yeah, and, and even get getting, up there. and Even in the industry at all, I, like I had a, um, a wonderful sound engineer woman and now I can't remember her name, but, <laughs> but she said that that was 
I was uh, instrumental in her deciding that she could do that as well and that made me so happy too. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. great. That's good. And also, um, I don't know, there's uh, maybe even maybe because I am accused of <laughs> of singing with a, a singular sounding voice, <laughs> which may or may not be a compliment, I'm not quite sure. But, <laughs> but the thing is when I sing it's with my voice. And I haven't really, um, I, that's part of, I think, having had classical training too. But I'm, I would hope that I've encouraged a lot of people who wanted to sing but were always too scared because that was me um, wow. to sing as well. And if I've done that, then that makes me really happy too because oh, there sure, was yeah. a big push um, in Australian culture to, shh, you can't sing, shh. What are you doing? That kind of thing. Right. Um, and to have that told to you when you're a child is really damaging because aside from anything else, your your apparatus for singing hasn't developed yet enough to sound like an adult singing. But um, I just think singing is such a, a natural um, entitlement. It's an inheritance that we have all humans and we should never be shushed. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> And do you think once you, you know, went to St Kilda and experienced life there, that sort of opened those possibilities up to you? You know, you yeah, might have seen yeah, other yeah. women, um, uh-huh. you know, um, or even male or female trying to sing. Um, yeah, well, um, pitch was optional too back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you could use you could use the fact that you may um, be pitch challenged as um, an artistic statement as well. So it really was like there's there's no there's no wrong notes in jazz and apparently not in punk rock either. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever flows flows, right? Yeah. Yeah. And also it's a copyright issue. If someone's singing a particular melody line that can't be <laughs> repeated by anyone else because it's in their own tuning, then they, there you go. <laughs> it's yours forever. <laughs> All right. And why do you feel the suburb of St Kilda is so important for live music? Well, it could actually be that it's been um, an important gathering place and uh, musical cultural place for for centuries, actually, prior to colonialism as well. There was the great corroboree tree that was um, at the junction, um, I think basically where the Junction Oval is now. Uh, But that was a, a place that, that people have met for centuries and I believe that traces of of um, what we put into our uh, landmarks actually stay and they, they grow and the energies there just keep, keep springing up. I mean, I can't I have no other um, explanation for it but it always seems to attract um, uh, an element of bohemian um, uh, an element of um, people who are inspired, um, even in between having, you know, Navy people based at the um, Prince of Wales and uh, working girls up and down. And it's just, it's a place for people to come together and exchange ideas. I don't know how, yeah. I can't explain it any other way because... You know, no matter what I've seen change over the course of 30 or 40 years in St Kilda, there's still, <laughs> there's still wandering minstrels everywhere. 
<laughs> and storytellers and poets, you know, they just you can't you can't hide them. They yep. they spring up from the cracks in the sidewalk or the yep. pavement, as we say here in Australia. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it's a bit of a melting pot of different types of people yeah. coming together. Uh, yeah. And so do you think that has led to an acceptance of a wide variety of styles of music then, if there's sort of more diverse types of people? I think so, yeah. 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 And it was also um, uh, kind of a badge of honour back in the old days, the more difficult to listen to bands that you actually liked. It was like, <laughs> wow, they're really cool. <laughs> <laughs> And do you think this still stands today, how St Kilda, you know, has been so important for live music? Do you think that still stands today? Uh, it still does, yeah. Um, we've got Mimo, which is yep. one of the few um, places that was able to keep going through COVID. Uh, we've got George Lane, which is a wonderful space, um, a more intimate kind of space. Uh, the ESPYs there and, and Prince of Wales is still there. So there's um, there's still opportunities. Um, in terms of right now, though, it's a little bit tricky with the with, with trying to um, have music flourish in a pandemic, you know, because um, most of it, most most music occurs through um, through some sort of alchemy between at least two forces. Yeah, and the the people that used to populate maybe in in separate tribes and in um, different bands, um, we're all a bit older. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement. We're all a bit older, and we're all um, managing to sort of play with each other in in different incarnations now. And I I find that unreal. Like um, Jack Howard puts together a lot of occasions like that with his. Um, Lost brothers and sisters, but also with Epic Brass, it's like a real meeting of the tribes, yeah. And um, it's just, it's lovely the um, the people that have inspired me that I've got to actually play with. That must be amazing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. It really, it gives me a sense of validation and and belonging. <laughs> My bank balance never has. <laughs> Oh, no, that's great. Um, it must be really good to, you know, still be able to get together with people you played with back then. And, oh, yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. If nothing's changed, that's great. Yeah. Um, in in um, Mimo at one of the Epic Brass gigs, it was a, a personal um, highlight because we had Rob Hurst from Midnight Oil on drums, I think, as well as Ash Davies, so we had two drummers. And then we had Deb Conway singing Man Overboard and there was Steve Hadley on bass and uh, John Archer on bass and I was on bass too um, because I wasn't going to pass up that opportunity. And we didn't need um, the effect that Helen used on the bass because with three bass players it was like the natural flange happening. It was really unreal. Wow. And I was one song but it lives on forever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) And you've been playing around St Kilda a bit lately? Yeah, again, um, so Delicato's had their first uh, gig um, since COVID and since James, my husband, had um, kidney failure. So we were waiting for a kidney for him. But yeah. um, we did we did a gig at George Lane a couple of weeks ago and that was unreal. Really, really, 
really good fun. And um, with Jack Howard and Long Lost Brothers and Sisters just played there on Friday. Good fun again. Oh. Yeah, so getting back into it. Yeah, it's good to see it all happening again yeah, you know, in different and ways. It's just so lovely because the people who um, would always come and see the music too, like they've missed it so much. It left such a gap in their... Um, in their ability to enjoy life, you know, their quality of life. So they've come out and they're just so, so grateful and so appreciative even more than before. Yeah. And I just, it, it really, it really, um, it creates this love loop where we all feel validated. <laughs> and like we have an identity, you know, and we belong together. It's good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I guess music's a big part for a lot of people's identity, whether you play it or whether you're a fan or, or what. Mm. Um, so I guess, you know, we've got that hope of everything coming back to normal <laughs> eventually yeah. and people being able to experience live music again in the way they did before. It's yeah. something to really look forward to. It is, Yeah. I was doing, um, I, my mum has dementia and so I was going into residential care and playing for her some of the older songs that she would like. But then I also played for her new songs I'd just written and what I noticed was that it didn't. It only took two or three goes of playing her a new song and it had formed a new memory and she was singing that and recognising wow. that. So this is the um, importance that music has for collective memory and to um, keep our brain health keep going. Yeah and, yeah, and making new memories. Wow. It's really, really, um, it's, it, I don't know if it's under-researched, but it's perhaps under-published. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> something you've experienced yeah. personally anyway. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Mm. Fiona, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you and hear all your wonderful memories of St Kilda. Thank you, Sally. It's lovely to tell the stories too. Thank Excellent. you. Thank you for coming in. My pleasure. In that light, let's all get out there and enjoy some great live music again so we can make sure St Kilda keeps that creative vibe. You're going home in the back of a divvy van. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to thank the St Kilda Historical Society and its committee for the opportunity to carry out this project and for all their support along the way. The Historical Society does a lot of work throughout the year to preserve the history of our local area and make it accessible for all. Members pay $20 a year to join and receive three newsletters per year full of information and great stories. They have events throughout the year, including local history walks, talks and presentation of new research. See their website, stkildahistory.org.au, for more information. Our local council, the City of Port Phillip, does so much to support the magnificent arts here in St Kilda. A big thank you to the council for their funding in this podcast series as part of their Cultural Development Fund. Thank you for seeing the value of this project and, in particular, thank you to Sharon Dawson for your guidance along the way. We look forward to seeing the other projects from this round of funding come to fruition as well. Sending out a big thank you to the animals for their assistance with the promotional side of this project. The animals are a one-stop shop for advertising, brand building and idea generation and have collaborated with many companies both here in Melbourne and around Australia. See their website, theanimals.com.au, for more. The Unplugged in St Kilda podcast was recorded at Big Ears Audio, 97 Wellington Street, St Kilda. 
I'd like to take a moment to thank Tony, Adrian, Laz and their team for doing such a brilliant job recording, editing and producing the series and for their professional advice along the way. And last but not least, I'd like to thank my wonderful volunteers who helped me put this series together, all the artists who gave their time for interviews and to you, the listener, for joining me. I've had a great time creating this project and I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you.